glad to be here with you, and I, I know it's 11.43, but I'm thankful that you all have let God uh, move in this service and been open to Him moving, and I will be cognizant of the time, or I'll do my best to anyway. I've got some young men that are wanting to cook some steaks this afternoon. In fact, I've, I've got a ribeye dry agent just waiting, so we'll, that'll keep me cognizant of the time probably, maybe. Um, and to, I'm just glad to see everybody here this morning. I am glad that everybody's at First Church and that God is, is moving, doing mighty things, doing miraculous things. I was contemplating this morning the, the ride it's been the last year, um, what it's been for us. I know it's been a, a year and a few weeks now since we've been here, but I, I, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you all are here as well. And got any first-time guests, I... If I haven't seen anybody, uh, so glad you're here with us. We have a uh, reception room straight through the double doors in the back. We'd love to meet with you for a moment after service. Got a gift for you. So any first-time guests, please uh, meet with us back there after service. We are so glad you're with us. Everybody else, I'm glad you're here as well, because otherwise I'd have to talk to myself. And while I do that frequently, it gets a little weird if everybody films it and puts it online. So I'm glad you're here to listen as well. We're going to start out in the book of Joshua, the sixth chapter. I'm going to start reading with verse 2. We're going to read through verse 5, but Joshua chapter 6, starting with verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about to the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear, or shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. You can be seated this morning. Uh, to, Joshua and the children of Israel have gotten to a place where finally, after 40 years, they're getting out of the desert. Joshua and Caleb are the only two guys remaining that were there before they went into the desert. They're the only two guys left that went into, uh, that came out of captivity in Egypt. Everybody else has, has passed on. The other spies that were there with them didn't make it. Moses has uh, seen from afar the land that was promised on the mountaintop, but he's no longer with them. And Joshua is here, and they're getting ready to go into the, uh, surround the city, and God is giving them what had been promised 40 years earlier. And for the last 40 years, they've essentially walked in circles, and uh, I talked a week or so ago about my walking in circles. I'm not a big fan of it, uh, as we mentioned getting lost on a backpacking trip once, but uh, they, they weren't lost. God was leading them, but he couldn't take them where he wanted to go because they hadn't been who they needed to be, so they've, he's just kind of led them in circles for a while. They've been going, kind of moving, pillar of fire by uh, night and a pillar of cloud by day, and manna's falling out of the sky, and all that seems pretty awesome, but I bet after the first 20 years it got old. After 30 years, Josh was pretty tired of it, and by 40 years, I think he's ready to make it in. So Joshua, Caleb, the rest of the children of Israel, they've, they've gotten here, and God's telling them about their first big obstacle, the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho's a 
a pretty big city, pretty um, powerful city, one of the greatest cities on earth at the time. The, the walls were so thick, so wide, that they could drive chariots or race chariots around the top of it. A uh, fairly impenetrable fortress. If you are unsure as to what that looks like, I, I, I implore that you go find the cinematic masterpiece that is Josh and the Great Big Wall. That is VeggieTales. If you haven't seen it, it's wonderful. Uh, the little French peas up on top of the wall making fun of the Israelites and pouring grape slushies on them. It's a wonderful time. Um, I almost had Abby make my slide for today out of, the, out of that, but I decided against it because it's more interesting than I am. Um, but if you haven't, if you don't know, if you need a primer on the city of Jericho, you got a nice kind of rainy looking afternoon today, go watch Josh and the Great Big Wall. It'll, it'll change your life. Um, but they, they've gotten to this city and it's big and it's wide and it's powerful and they're looking at in the realistic, the material side of things, it's how in the world are we getting through this? Now they had, you know, three million people. They had a pretty big group there, but, but this was a fairly impenetrable wall and they didn't have tanks and bombs and any way to just blow it up, but what they did have was God. And God tells them, you, you take these guys and you go walk around and we, we just read the formula that he gave them there as we started out. And he said, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to go about it. He said, I want you to take all the men and go around the city once for six days. All the men, not most of the men, not some of them, but all of them. And that's going to be important as we keep going this morning. He says, on the seventh day, I want you to take all the people, not just all the men, but all the people, the women, the children, everybody, all of Israel, go walk seven times around the city. Do not leave a person out. And when that happens, he tells them, when that happens, the seventh time, going to blow a trumpet and all the people are going to shout and the walls of the city are going to fall down flat. So they, they start walking. Day one, they're walking around the city. Just the men come out and the little French peas, they stand on top of the wall and they're kind of watching. What are you guys doing? Day two, they come out and they walk and it's then that the French peas start insulting the rest of the vegetables walking around the city of Jericho and say, well, how stupid are you? You think walking around is going to knock our wall down? And they pour some grape slushy on them and they walk around the wall some more and they begin singing, keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Day five and day six and on day seven, all the children of Israel, they come and they, they walk around the city seven times and at the end of the seventh time, they blow the trumpet. Everybody shouts. I'm going to go to verses 20 and 21. It says, The people shouted with the priests, blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat so the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed the, all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Jump down to verse 24. They burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold, the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury the house of the Lord. God does this mighty thing, but he only did it when all of the people did all of what they were supposed to do. But then one guy decides that he's got some plans a little different moving forward. And we get to chapter 7 and 
starting at verse 1, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not going to read all of the first five verses here, but starting at verse 1, the children of Israel, it says they committed a trespass. One guy, Achan, he takes, it says, of the accursed thing. He goes in there, God said, all of this stuff that you found, the, the gold, the silver, the brass, the bronze, these things, they go into the treasury, they're for the temple. And Achan says, I, I need a little bit of that. It says, he took of the thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And shortly after this, Joshua sends some men to the city of Ai. Now, they had just uh, defeated the greatest city on the face of the earth. He sends a few men to go do some reconnaissance, and they go, look at Ai, and they get there, and they say, ah, Joshua, we don't need everybody. We don't need all of our warriors for Ai. Send a couple thousand of them. Two or 3,000 men go up and smite it. Don't make everybody labor. It's just but a small city. There are just few. There's not many of them there. We, we don't need a million men. We need a couple thousand. So a couple thousand men head up to Ai. It says they went up thither, the people, about 3,000 men. They fled before the men of Ai. They got up there and turned around and started running. The, the men from this small city that should have been easy, shouldn't have been a problem, it says they smote of them about 36 men. They chased them. 36 men chased them from before the gate, chased them down the hill and the going down. The hearts of the people, it says, melted and became as of water. They, they're running away. Joshua, he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's, he's tearing his clothes. He's hiding his face. He doesn't know what's going on. He, he, he's fallen to the earth in his face. God, what has happened? It says he and the elders, they put dust on their head. They're, they don't know what's going on. They're seeking God. I don't understand all these concepts. I never have a bad day and like, you know what? Putting some dirt on my head today. Um, but we look at their scriptural and societal concepts and they were, same thing we see with Job. They were in a place of mourning because of what was going on. He comes before God, he's humbled himself and said, God, what's going on here? And God begins to explain to him what had happened with Ai, or, or with Ai and it was that God had not been with the children of Israel. They had went two or 3,000 men, but they didn't go two or 3,000 men with God. They just went two or 3,000 men. Here previously, they went to Jericho, this huge walled city, but they didn't just them go to Jericho, but they went with Almighty God. And we get to uh, verse 19 of chapter 7. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession unto him. Tell me what you've done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answers. He said, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against the Lord. And this is what I did. He said, I saw the spoils, a, a Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels. I coveted them. He says, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. Silver is under it. He says, here's what I did. Here's what I took. And I want to look at how Joshua reacted to the situation. We get to verse uh, 25, 26. He says, Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned him with stones. Now, mind you, this isn't just him. This is him 
his family, their animals, like all of it. They were getting rid of everything with extreme prejudice. He says they, um, after they burnt them and stoned them, then they piled a big heap of stones on top of them. It says it's there to this day. And we get then to the end of the story in the 8th chapter, verse 24 and 25. It says, And it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, and the wilderness wherewith they chased them when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. The same battle where they had been utterly defeated the chapter before, this same city that had chased them down, they says their hearts turned to water and they ran away a chapter before. Now they go back and smite until there is no more smiting to be done. I like that word, smite. I think that's where I'm going to start using that in my daily vocabulary. Vocabulary, Braden, take out the trash or thou shalt be smitten. I, I think that'll be good. This is, we're going we're gonna to use this. I, I was reading this story this week, and it wasn't what I had planned on talking about, but as I read this, I began to think a little bit about the children of Israel and uh, about the difference in what happened when they were all in or mostly in. You see, when they went to Jericho and the walls fell, it was all the men, and then it was all the people, and God said, I need everyone, 100% of you, here doing this. When they go to Ai, and there wasn't that, there was huge sin in the camp. It wasn't that all the people had made a mistake. It wasn't that all the people had sinned, but it was one man. Just a little bit was held back. And when that was the case, God was no longer with them. But then when they returned to Ai again, they had gotten rid of all of the sin. They got rid of it as strongly as they could. They killed them and burnt them and stoned them. Like they're making sure that there is nothing left. And then piled a big heap of rocks on top of it. And then they go back and when everything has been gotten rid of and all of the people are again serving God, then they go to Ai and God is with them once again. Victory is theirs once again. Now I am the type of guy that I, I tend to get carried away a little bit with things. Whatever it is I happen to be doing. Um, it's something that I have to... Moderation is something I... I struggle with, I, I, I was talking to Sister Sandy and Julia previous to service, and Julia says, I, I ate, I, I, we were talking about sweets, because I have sweets in my office, and I can't talk about them with a nutritionist near me, um, I feel shamed, but uh, I, I was talking about my sweets, and Julia's like, no, no, it's okay, I had a cookie yesterday. Now, maybe nobody else sees that the way I did, but a cookie, I'm like, last time I wanted a cookie, I made a batch of snickerdoodles, a pot of coffee, consumed both together, because I'm all in. A few nights ago, I got hungry. One in the morning, I woke up, craving mac and cheese, so I get out my trusty Kraft Blue Box, I make said Kraft Blue Box, a little extra butter just to make it better, and then I ate said Kraft Blue Box. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's about 1,250 calories at 2 in the morning, but I was hungry, and I wasn't going to eat just some of it. Like, we're not going to make, you can't reheat macaroni and cheese. If you do, you need to pray. Just throw it away, cook some more. It's not right any other way. 
So I've got my macaroni and cheese, and I wasn't eating just some of that. I was all in. I ate every bit of that mac and cheese. And my hobbies tend to be the same way. I, I liked dirt bikes when I was in high school, and when I say I liked dirt bikes, I don't mean that I like went to the dealership and got a dirt bike. I started there, but then it had to go to the shops that build the professionals' dirt bikes and make it into like a pro motocross dirt bike because, you know, I was a pro and all. And then that wasn't enough. I then had to get a tractor and build a full motocross track um, because I liked dirt bikes. I get carried away with things sometimes. I like projects, so I have a hundred of them. Um, I like old cars, so I can't build more one at a time. I'm currently building two. Uh, anything I do, I get slightly carried away. My wife loves it that I deer hunt, you know, for a week a year. So to deer hunt for a week a year, I have to go to the farm at least once a month to keep my food plots growing and make sure my deer are fed because, you know, nature doesn't feed them enough. Uh, I've got to make sure they're fed. I've got to, that, that week of deer hunting requires tractors and guns and a Jeep and this whole list of things. You know, you can't deer hunt without a tractor. It's imperative. And all these things have to be done just so that I can go deer hunt for a week a month. I get carried away with things just a little bit. But sometimes I wonder if we find it easy to get carried away in some things and other things, it's something we do kind of half-heartedly. Now it's, at the end of the day, not that big a deal if I don't get all the way into riding dirt bikes. You know how that ended up for me? With all of the ribs on this side broken. That's, that's the kind of thing that comes of of going all in riding dirt bikes. You know what happens when you, when you get carried away with your macaroni and cheese or your snickerdoodles? You, you, it's time to buy new shirts. I, I know this from fact. Um, but if there are some things that I don't get carried away with, it's not a big deal. In fact, it'd probably be good if I'd eat a few less cookies. Probably be great for me if I'd cut off the one in the morning mac and cheese. But when it comes to serving God, I can't cut back a little bit. The children of Israel were almost all serving God. It was only one man, only Achan. Everybody else did what they were supposed to. And one guy holds out back just a little bit. And when one guy holds back just a little bit, God says, now you've got to do this on your own. And we saw how that worked. And I am, I'm so thankful that I don't go through life on my own. I am so thankful that God is a merciful and a graceful God and that he is there with me even when I have not been with him. I am so thankful of that. But when it comes to serving my God, he doesn't just deserve the part I'm willing to give. It's not really to me to live for God 50% or 80% or 90%. But when it comes to living for God, I have to be all in. When it comes to living for God, I have to be willing to give him all of me. If I am not willing to give him all of me, I can't really expect him to do everything he's got for me. If I'm not living how I should live, if I'm not being who I should be, how can I expect a God to bless me like he's going to bless me? How can I expect God to use me like he wants to use me because I'm not there with everything I've got? My wife expects me to be married to her all of the time. She's been the only girlfriend I've had in the last 15 years. She would be very upset if that were otherwise. That's just how it is. That's the reality of being married. It's a good thing. Now, I shouldn't say that's the reality of being married. I don't want you to think it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. I'm going to stop and change subjects before I get in trouble because she's watching. <laughs> I, uh, 
there are some things that that's just expected. When I, when you got a job, you're expected to go to work and you clock in and you clock out. And while you're at work and you're on the time clock, you are expected to work. That's what you're there for. You can't go clock in and then sit down and play games on your phone. You can, but you may not work there tomorrow. Um, you you can't go say, okay, ah, you know what? I don't think I'm working this week. I'm just not feeling it. And not show up, you may not have a place to show up to the next week. When we have a job, we're just expected to be there when we're supposed to be there, and that's how the world works. Most things are like that. We just have to do what we have to do. That's part of growing up, part of being an adult, and we have to do that. I, I was taught at a young age from my dad that when you clock in, you work, and when you clock out, you can quit. And when I'm working, I'm working. But there are some things that we, we just take and accept, but for some reason, a whole lot of us, a lot of the time in, in the world today, we, we decide that we can just take what we want of God and leave what we don't. I can say, well, I, I really like this page, but this over here I'm going to ignore a little bit. Now, I, I do understand that there are dispensations and the tearing of the curtain tore up, and I can eat pork now. I'm not saying that we have to take everything like that, but when it comes to living for God, the Bible's pretty clear how we live and how we don't, what we do and what we don't. And I, I can't take what I want and leave the rest and say, you know what, I don't have to do this. I, you know what, I, it's just a little lie. It'll be okay if I tell it. That's not what the scripture says. You know, it, uh, I know I, I said those words that I shouldn't have, but, but I was having a really bad day. That's not what the scripture says. You know, it was Friday afternoon, been a rough week. Uh, I think I'll just go have a few drinks. I don't know that's how the scripture words it. And we, we want to take, and society says it's okay that as long as we're a good person, I can take what I want, and it'll be okay, and I'll, God understands, and I'll make it to heaven, but that's not what the book says. What the book says is that I've got a God that's a jealous God and that if I am to live for him, I'm going to live for him, that he wants all of me. In return for all of me, I can make heaven my home, but when he bought me and he paid for me, he didn't pay for 50%. Think about that. God didn't get me at a, at a BOGO sale. Calvary wasn't a buy one, get one. Calvary was you pay for all of all. And as such, when God bought me, God paid for me, God expects all of me. When I buy things, I, I can't imagine if going and buying a new car, and I get in my new car and it won't start, and they're like, well, I know you paid for it, but we decided to keep the spark plugs. <laughs> I would be infuriated. Like, I, I, So I buy some junky stuff from time to time, and Sometimes I have gotten the raw end of a deal, I will admit, and, and I buy something and I get it home and it's not quite as good as I thought it was. I, there have even been a time or two, I remember I bought a 79 F-150 and it was a beautiful truck. It was, it was my dream truck. It took me four, guy, four years to talk the guy into selling it. I was proud of it. I remember driving it home and I still get harassed to this day because I told my buddy Zach, I said, man, I'm never selling this truck. And, Took me so long to buy it. I'm never, never selling it. I'm never getting rid of it. I love this truck. And there came a day that I decided, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna paint it. It was already a nice truck, but I said, you know what? We're gonna, 
going to sand it down, repaint it. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be immaculate. And I start sanding at some point down the road, unbeknownst to me, it had been T-boned and had like all of the Bondo stuck in the side of it. And it was, the bed wasn't really fixable and the parts at the time weren't available. And so sick and mad that I finally just sold the thing. So I don't even want to look at it. I don't want to touch it. It's gone. Uh, and I remember being so mad that I didn't get quite what I thought I got. I didn't buy quite as pristine and perfect of an old truck as I thought I bought. And I can't imagine how God feels when God says, I went to Calvary and I paid for all of you, but you're just giving me Sunday morning. Imagine God says, wait a minute, I I paid for you all week. How come I get Sunday, sometimes Wednesday, but how come you aren't living for me on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Now, Monday, you're still feeling good from church, so you're pretty decent then, but by Tuesday, that's wore off. How come God paid for all week, people? I don't mean to sound like I'm hollering or shouting at anybody this morning. It's, It's a thought that got to me this week as I began to... I was reading through this and I was talking to God and I began to realize that, that even I, sometimes I, I tend to get everything else going on and I get caught up with everything going on. And if I'm not real careful, he's not my, always my priority. I get worried about what I got going on work. I get worried about what's going on with kids, whatever, whatever's going on in life. And I'm stressed about all the things going on. And the whole time God's saying, I bought that too. He says, when I bought you, I bought everything that came with it. See, the reality of my old truck is that when I bought the old truck, I bought an old truck. When you do that, you buy all the problems that come with it, Brother Clyde. I bought that Bondo just like I bought the rest of that truck. The reality is when, when you buy something like that, you just get it. You buy a house, and a couple years later, your AC goes out. Guess what? You bought an AC that was going to go out. That's the reality of it, the, reality of buying a house is that sometimes you buy some problems. God bought me. And he bought my life with it. When he bought me, he he took with it all my problems, all my situations. He knows what I'm going to run into. And here I am stressing about everything and I'm not giving him everything. And my God's up here saying, why aren't you all in? I bought you. I cared for you and I love you. Bring me your problems just like you bring me your good. Give me your Sunday morning worship, but let me touch you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. God's saying, you'll go through life all week. Let me be your God all week. You see, it's awesome. We come in here and God moves so mightily this morning. From the minute we opened up in our first service, the Spirit of God just fell into this place. And that feels awesome, but you know what? I can feel God on Tuesday, Sister Shea. Friday. Maybe I'm having, it's been a long week and I'm tired and I'm realizing that it's not going to end, end Friday and Friday's going to roll into Saturday and not getting a day off this week. You may have those weeks. You just, it just keeps overflowing and just wondering how you're going to get through it all. And you know what? It's, at that point, he's still my God. At that point, I can begin to praise him and I can begin to feel his presence wherever I'm at. He can begin to move in my life and touch my life and change my life regardless of where I'm at or what I've got going on. And my God is going to be my God as long as I am giving all to him. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to 
close up pretty quick. I realize it's already quarter after 11. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. says, This is Christ speaking. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm going to pause there for a moment. He says, the things that you are finding important to you, where you're, where you're, what you've built up, that's where your heart is. The things that are close and the things that you hold tightest, you've got to make sure that that thing that you're the closest to, that thing that you're holding the tightest, the thing most important to you is Jesus. He says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, their whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, he says, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve both God and mammon. I've got a buddy that I, I call and talk to a couple times a week usually, and I'll, I'll call him and say, Hey, what are you doing? And the answer is always the same. He's a truck driver. He says, Oh, I'm just sailing the highways, you know, just chasing mammon, he says. His way of telling me is at work. But it became a joke because at one point in his life, his work got more important and he got offered a, a job that allowed him to make a whole lot more money, but he worked every Sunday. And he took that shift for a while and, and now he reminds himself when he answers the phone to me, hey, this is just what I'm doing to get by, but the other things are more important. But God is telling, as he's speaking here, he says, you can't serve the world, and me. You can't serve me just a little bit. You can't have two masters. Only one can be served. This morning, I just want to know that I am living all in for Jesus Christ. I want to know that I am giving him all of me, that I am serving him and living for him all the time. And I also want to know that I am giving him all of me, that when I have a problem, a trouble, a trial, a tribulation, just shape you'd come begin to play, that no matter what it is that I am facing, that I'm giving it to him. It's so easy to hold back just a little bit. It's so easy to live for God when it's easy and, and forget when it's hard. It's so easy to live for God in this situation and that situation. It's not hard. I don't struggle living for God on Sunday morning. I don't know anybody that does. It's, it'd be awful hard to walk into the church house and struggle to live for God. Spirit of God's moving, people jumping, people shouting. Sister Shea's singing. It's, it's awful hard to go to sinning when Sister Shea's singing. But I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier on a Friday evening. It's a whole lot easier when I haven't made it to the church house all week. And what God's saying is, all week I want you to live for me. No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, if you're struggling, he says, give all of yourself to me. And if you're facing something that you don't know how to carry, remember that I bought it when I bought you and I'll take it just like I took you. Today, as our team begins to sing, as we begin to start to wrap up this service, I'd like to open these altars. I want us to take a moment. I want to examine my heart and realize within myself today, am I giving him everything? Am I really living for God like I ought to live for God? Am I really serving God like I should serve God? But even beyond that, I want to look at my problems and my trials, the things that I face and the things that I carry. 
And I want to know, am I giving Jesus everything today? It's not always that I'm sinning when I'm not getting him everything because sometimes it's just that I'm holding on to stuff that he's already paid for. Sometimes I'm just holding on for stuff that he's saying, don't you remember who I am? Sometimes my kids, they try to fix something that they can't quite fix. Finally, they give up and they'll bring it to dad. Say, dad, can you fix this? It's a whole lot easier for dad to fix, mom to fix. And God's looking, saying, I know you got a mess here, but if you'll just come to me, if you'll just say, I already paid for that problem. I've already given you a solution. Just let me fix it. This morning, I simply want us to ask ourselves the question, when it comes to my relationship with Christ, am I all in? Am I giving Him my all this morning? Am I giving Him everything? These altars are open as our team begins to play. Please come forward. Please come and ask yourself for a few moments. Examine, Lord, have I given you everything?